Am I the only one in the room who's ever felt that God had laid something on his heart and mind and being the faithful servant that you are, you look at God and say, you want me to do what? I'm the only one. I, I, I'm not, am I? I can show you lots of examples in the Word of God where people said, here my Lord, send me. But, you know, look at Moses, for example. Basically, Moses, when God said, throw your staff down and it turned into a snake, and God said, now bend over and pick it up, Moses did not want to bend over and touch that thing. He did not. You go back and read it. He didn't want to do it, but he obeyed God. Amen? We need to obey God too. You want me to do what? Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1. That's going to be the impetus scripture for the day. And we're going to talk to God about, you want me to do what? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let's pray first. Father, I want to thank you once again for the power of your word. Let it have its full sway in our lives today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cling so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Imagine one day that a group of people come to your home, and they interrupt your Twinkie-eating, TV-watching routine with an urgent message. <laughs> I like that, Twinkie-eating, TV-watching routine. Anybody here ever eat a Twinkie? Let me read that again. Imagine a group of people coming to your home and interrupting your Twinkie-eating, TV-watching routine with an urgent message. Good news. We're from the United States Olympic Committee. <laughs> that made me laugh already. We've been looking for someone to run the marathon in the next Olympics. We have statistics on every person in the entire nation on computer. We have determined that out of the 300 million people in this country, you are the one in America with a chance to bring home the gold medal in the marathon. So, you're chosen. You're on the team. You will run the race. Now, you're surprised because the furthest you've run in years is from the couch to the refrigerator. The one time you began running, you began a running program, you ran down your driveway onto the sidewalk in front of your house, getting to the end of your yard only to turn around exhausted and panting, barely making it back to your lazy boy lounger. Just yesterday, you were sweating so profusely, dripping like a faucet on the clean kitchen floor. Your wife asked you, did you go for a jog? No, but I did get the mail. After the shock of being selected passes, you're gripped by the realization of what's happening in your life. You picture yourself mingling with the elite athletes of the world. You allow yourself to imagine that maybe you do have what it takes to run the race. All night or at night, you dream about standing on the podium after the race and hearing the national anthem, seeing the flag raise and bending low to receive the gold medal. You begin to feel a rush of emotion. And you get caught up in the idea. You say to yourself, this is the race I was created to run. This is my destiny. This is why I was born. This race becomes the great passion of your life. It begins to dominate your thinking. It occupies every waking moment. To run the race well, to win it if you can, 
becomes the central focus of your existence. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what you live for. Now, before you just tune me out or hit the disqualification button for consideration, let's take a few minutes to consider what the Bible says about the real and most important race. The first thing we have to look at are, number one, the characteristics of the race. Listen carefully. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you run a race, whether you know it or not. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you run a race. It, too, is the race of a lifetime. It, too, should dominate your mind. It, too, should occupy your waking moments. It, too, must become the central focus of your existence. It, too, should be what you live for. Consider again in Hebrews 1.1, I'm reading it again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run. Say that with me. Let us run. Again, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now let's continue in our consideration of the characteristics of running a marathon. The first one is, you have been chosen for the race. This race, you, no jokes, you have been chosen for the race. That's correct. In this race, like the Olympic race, you've been chosen. This time, however, the Olympic committee is not selecting, but God Almighty has chosen you. He's chosen you to run the race of a lifetime. Imagine the thrill of an Olympic committee uh, is knocked on your door selecting you to represent your country. Imagine, more importantly, God is knocking on the door of your heart, selecting you for his team. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, God has done just that. Second point. The race is both a contest and a conflict. It is no ordinary race. The Greek word for race is agon. Remember that word in Hebrews? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race. The Greek word for race is agon, agon. We get a lot of English words from the Greek language. The word we get in the English language from the Greek word agon is agony. That's the word we get from agon, agony. The race is a contest in daily progress towards Christlikeness. In many respects, we race not against opponents but against ourselves. The question then becomes, am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. The race is a conflict in that there is an internal struggle of the soul. Our natural bent is towards sinfulness and laziness. Are we engaging in the necessary disciplines and activities that will enable us to grow and mature in Christ's likeness? And let me give you a little disclaimer here. We're going to talk about some things that we absolutely must do in our lives to draw closer to God. 
but they are not works for the benefit of earning anything from Father. They are things that the Bible says we need to do so that we might draw closer to him. And you're going to learn something today. Think of it this way. All of us who have raised children, do we know in our hearts how negative it would be for them if while we were raising them, we did everything for them? We didn't let them do anything. We did. Why do we teach them to do things? So that they'll grow up and be good, responsible people. Amen? Where do you think we learned that from? God is not going to do everything for us. He expects us to make some quality decisions in our life, and when we need help, ask him about it. Amen? So, the next point. The race is unique to you. It's been marked out especially for you. Like the orange cones on the roadway that indicate the path of a long-distance race, God has marked out a race distinctive for you that will take you on an adventure. While the destination is the same for everyone, a life like Jesus, the journey that gets you there is different for everyone. This may be one of the most important recommendations I make to you today. Stop comparing your track to everyone else's track. Stop comparing your track to everyone else's track. Amen? It's dangerous. Next point, the race has no timeouts. Like the marathon run, this race has no timeouts, no breaks, no intermissions, and no half times. We're instructed to run and keep on running. Next point, the race is full of obstacles. When I was little, uh, I've heard this said by other people. When I was little, I couldn't say obstacles. I called them obstacles. The race is full of obstacles. Can you say Amen. Unlike the marathon and more like a steeplechase, this race is full of obstacles, barriers, hurdles, and hazards. They can't be avoided or erased. They come in different sizes and at different stages. Furthermore, there are no shortcuts. Next point. You run to win this race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says... Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Winning is not beating the other runners. The prize is becoming a spiritual champion. A spiritual champion. A spiritual champion is one sold out to Jesus, straining to become more like him every day. The finish line of faith is a life that is more Christian today than it was yesterday. The goal is not necessarily perfection, but it is definitely progress. The goal is definitely progress. Next point. Winning the race will require great endurance. Winning this race will require not only great endurance, but perseverance and patience and resolve. Victory requires that we run with undying persistence, steadfast endurance until we arrive at the finish line victorious. Main point number two, the principle for the race must be considered. Back to my house and the U.S. Olympic Committee's invitation. It dawns on me. Now, listen to this carefully. It dawns on me. I'm, I'm 64. The longest I ever ran in my life at my peak of health was seven and a half miles. 
thought I was dying. Seven and a half miles, 26.2 miles to do a marathon. It dawns on me, I can't run a marathon. More to the point, I can't run a marathon even if I try really, really hard. <laughs> All right? If you're serious about seizing the gold and standing on the winner's platform, you will have to enter into a lifetime of training. You must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. Do you realize the number of hours that an Olympian trains? The average Olympian trains four hours per day, 310 days per year for six years on average before succeeding. That translates into more than 7,000 hours of training for an event that may last a very short time. This need for training is not only for athletes, it's required for playing a musical instrument, learning a new language, or acquiring any new skill. In fact, it's mandatory for any significant challenge in your life, including becoming a spiritual champion. The single most important principle for running the race toward becoming a spiritual champion is this. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. According to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul encouraged his young Timothy to train yourself in godliness. This thought lies behind Paul's advice in the church in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. When it comes to running marathons or becoming a spiritual champion, I'll say it again. The need is not to try harder, but to train wisely. How many times... Have you heard a sermon or listened to a Bible study or read a book about following Jesus and said to yourself, I've got to try harder to be a better Christian? That's like me saying, I'm going to try really hard to compete in a triathlon. It won't happen by an act of my will alone. I would only be able to compete in a triathlon by actually training for the triathlon. We arrange our life around certain disciplines that help us gain power and strength to become more like Jesus each day, to live a life as Jesus taught and modeled. The activities are prayer, Bible study, worship, service, evangelism, stewardship. They're among the needed disciplines for running the spiritual race. One, prayer. Ask yourself, how often am I talking with Father each day? I'm getting to where... I just dwell on him. I, I just talk to him all day long. You know, I love it. Bible study. Am I engaged in a regular time of Bible, Bible reading, devotion, and study? Worship. Am I praising Father in regular times of worship? Service. Am I using my God-given gifts to serve him and his people? Evangelism. Have I spoken to someone recently regarding his or her relationship with God? I, I'm going to pause here for a second. There's going to be a point in heaven where we will be weeping so profusely. That's the only word I can think of. We'll be weeping so profusely that nothing 
can be done about our tears, but by Jesus himself. The Bible says that he will wipe the tears from our eyes and there will be no more tears forever. Man, have you ever had a good cry and, and you, you, well, that was a good cry. This one will not be good. The Bible does not say this is why we're crying. But I know what I have to fight tears about every time I think about it. That we're there and we're keenly aware of everybody who is not there. I'm very excited that this is a church where we disciple people in the Word. Can you say amen? But it cannot be at the cost of evangelism. If you love God, you love His Word, you love where you come to worship, invite more people. Amen? Invite the lost. If you invite 100 and only one comes, guess what? One came. Amen? Evangelism. Have I spoken to someone recently regarding his or her relationship with God? Stewardship. Am I investing regularly and consistently in God's church with my time, talents, and financial resources? The secret to winning the race, to truly live a Christ-like life, is to order my life around those activities, those disciplines, and practices that were modeled by Christ himself in order to accomplish through training what we cannot now do by trying. Third point, the characteristics of the need for the race, the need for the race. Let's return for a moment to the notion of running a marathon in the next Olympics. You begin working out. You quickly understand the need for intentional training. The Olympic Committee enlisted you to run not a sprint, but a 26.2 mile endurance competition. In a sprint, you run a short distance as fast as you can. Speed is of utmost importance. But in the long distance contest, such as a marathon, endurance is the key. You want to make it to the end. I'm told that two critical times exist in a marathon race. The first is the beginning. As you leave the starting line, you feel so good that you believe that you can keep up this pace throughout the race. The temptation is to run too fast too soon. Energy is expended and none is left for the end of the race. The second critical time in the marathon is at the halfway point. You suddenly realize that you still have as far to go as you've already run and you're already very tired. Runners call it hitting the wall. You come to the end of your stamina, and you're not sure you can pull one or put one foot in front of the other anymore. Races are not always won by the fastest, but rather by the one that keeps hanging on, the one who refuses to give up. Those who persist prevail. A man named D.H. Groberg was a poet wrote a poem called The Race. It describes a young boy who ran a race, falling many times, yet finishing. He wrote one stanza to his dad. He sadly said, I didn't do too well. To me, you won, his father said. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do too well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose, you rose each time you fell. 
Likewise, the great need for spiritual races is persistence. Time and time again, the scriptures exhort us to persist and endure. You know, the apostle Paul, he prayed for the Colossians, may you be strengthened with all your power, with all power, for all endurance and patience. Paul reminded Timothy, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Then to the Hebrews he wrote, For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. In a spiritual race, you are running. Don't quit. Never give up. Keep going. If you've tripped and fallen, don't stay down. Maybe life has thrown you some curveballs. Maybe in your race you've been knocked off your feet a few times. Maybe you're thinking, since you've already hit the ground, there's no point in getting back up. Rather than getting up, you're planning on hanging it up. Anybody here today in that trap thinking about hanging it up? How many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Chariots of Fire is the true story of Eric Liddell a man who ran in the 1924 Olympics for Scotland, then went on to become a missionary. Before he ran in the Olympics, Eric Liddell ran in a meet between England and France. He ran the 100, the 220, the 440, and in the 440 he got off to a bad start. When the gun sounded, there was a lot of shoving to get in front. In the inside lane, Liddell tangled feet with J.J. Gillies of England and tumbled to the track. He sat there dazed for a second, not knowing whether he could get up, when someone screamed, get up and run. He jumped to his feet and took off after the pack, which was now a full 20 yards ahead of him. In a quarter-mile race, that's a long distance to make up. In his unorthodox style of running, he took off after the pack. He pulled into fourth place 10 yards behind the leader, J.J. Gillies. With 40 yards to go, he pulled into third place and then second. Right at the tape, he passed Gillies, stuck his chest out, won the race, and collapsed to the track in total exhaustion. Medical personnel had to assist, assist him off the track that day. An article appearing the next day in the Scotsman newspaper said the circumstances in which Lydell won the race made it a performance bordering on the miraculous. There's something noble and honorable about not quitting, about getting back up and dusting yourself off and continuing to compete. Remember, it's not about finishing last or finishing first, but simply about finishing. Don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you. You can do this. You can finish this race. You can bring home the gold. In conclusion, back at your home, the Olympic committee leaves. You're left pondering their proposal. It all comes down to one question. Will we engage in the training so that we will have the endurance to run the race? Will we get off the couch and get in the race? The same question applies to the spiritual race, will we engage in the training so that we will have the endurance to run the race? Will we get off the couch and get in the race?
Now I want to give you a little background here before we pray together. Why, why this sermon on the race? Never have we lived in a time in the history of man like this. Your Christianity is not optional. How you live it is an optional. Whether you grow or not isn't an option. You're either going to grow, you're going to choose to grow, you're going to engage, and you're going to lock into the battle, or you're going to end up on the other side of the very clear defining line that God is putting between his children and the world. That's why this message, you know, had little humorous parts in it, but you can't take this lightly. You can't. The days of, eh, we can take him or leave him attitude are over. They never really existed, but they are definitely over now. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Father's not playing games with anybody. You see, so I don't know how to run the race. Well, that's the things you get with God and you talk to him about. Those are the things you get into the Word. Just get a concordance or Google the race in the Bible. <laughs> Even Google today will point you at things in the Bible. All of these things that are out there, a lot of these technical stuff, just trash, just garbage. But God gave them to us originally to be used by his children to direct them to the Word. You can't help it that the devil's tried to thwart everything. Devil's never had an original idea in his whole creation. He just tries to counterfeit gods. That's it. Should you make a decision today to become more serious about your Christian walk with Father than you ever have in your life, oh, the dividends, that pay will be eternal. Eternal. If it scares you to hear my words, I'm telling you, I, I'm, look, I'm not a smart man. I'm not no high IQ guy, but I know God. I know God. Listen to the spiritual leadership intact in this country, and they're all saying the same thing. Better get ready. Amen? You say, well, what if I do all that? And Jesus doesn't come in my lifetime. Well, boo-hoo. All you did was get ready to go when you went however you went because your race was over. Quick reference. I'll be glad we're not wearing masks anymore. Because so I'm going to have my brother build us a couple more of these altars. We're going to have enough altar space for people to come pray and talk to God about we just, what we just talked about in the services. I got to trust you to, to walk out of here and talk to God about it today and make some decisions. I don't like that. I'd rather get you up here with the Holy Ghost in me and pray. I just move amongst you and pray for you, you know, while you're at the altar before God and let him start to do his work. Do not let yourself distance yourself from this building and become deaf the further you get away. Father, in Jesus' name, as these people rise in this room to pray with me, I ask you in Jesus' name right now, touch us, Father. Fill us afresh and anew with your presence, I pray. Touch us by the power of your Spirit. Father, forgive us of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings, and let us rejoice in the fact 
That when we say those words to you and we mean them, it's because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But Father, we want to run the race for your glory. This race in the Bible we know is not optional for your children. We want to be pleasing to you in everything that we say and do. And without faith, it's impossible to please you. We want to run the race by faith, Father. In Jesus' name. And the parts where we feel like we just can't go on. Or we're tempted to throw up our hands. Or we fall and we're tempted to stay there on the ground. Maybe cry out to you. Because you're our ever-present help in a time of trouble. You do want us to do what we can do on our own when we can. But you certainly want us to look to you for everything else. And Father, I've learned the hard way. You don't ask us to do a whole lot that we can do by ourselves. Because you want to help us. You want to show yourself to be God in our lives. So once again, I say these words, Father, for every one of us. Forgive us, Father, of all of our sins and our shortcomings. Strengthen us, Father, so that we can turn from our wicked ways. We know then that you'll hear our prayers and that you will heal our land and you will put out these fires and you will kill this virus. You will stop these storms and, Father, you will cause the earthquakes to subside. And your peace will rise up within us that passes all understanding that the world does not have. Father, I want to thank you for the many, many, many tens of thousands and maybe over a million Christians in this country yesterday that prayed to you for the future of this nation all at one time. What a magnificent impact in the spiritual realm because one person can set X number of demons to flight two can set an exponentially higher number of demons to flight what must it have been like in the kingdom of darkness for a million Christians to call out to you Father for the 30 or 40 of us that are in this building today we come against the demonic forces that think they own this city they think they run this city. They think this city belongs to them. Father, you're on the move in this city. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for the revival. We embrace it, Lord. Thank you for the myriad souls that will be saved in this revival for your glory. Now, Lord, as we always do, it's a confession of faith, Lord, to ask you to watch over us as we leave this place today because we know that you do. We thank you that your angels are with us to watch over us. Father, we just pray that you would continue to protect your children from the COVID virus. Heal those that we know that are sick. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would place a stop to this plague. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you and fellowship together before you leave.